Lord, we thank you for your presence and power. And I pray you would anoint our eyes and seniors to hear. Holy Spirit, I ask you to captivate our hearts and minds. Help us to get focused and give you our best and our full attention. And get locked into what you're speaking. Lord, I thank you for speaking through me. Let everything be accomplished through this time that you're willing to be done through this, this word that's going to be preached. As many hear it through the internet and, and different avenues. Lord, I thank you for it. We bless you. In Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to talk about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, Matthew 3.11 is where we get that phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I want to go to Acts chapter 19, okay? Let's start there. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, what type of question is that? Think about that. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul asked that question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who's coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Now pay close attention to verse 5. On hearing this... They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't take a lot to be born again. Okay? The Bible says it's faith. Amen? So the thief, the thief that was on the cross just simply had faith. And when these, perp, these people heard Paul talk about Jesus, they believed, and they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then in verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. This was the beginning of one of Paul's most, well, I would say it was definitely the most powerful revival that the Apostle Paul ever had was his time in Ephesus. He was there for two years. The Bible says the whole province of Asia heard him, heard the gospel, and they were awesome signs and wonders, okay? But I don't want to get into that. The first thing, this is going to be kind of doctrinal at first, and then I'm going to get into some preaching. But I want to lay some groundwork, okay? <clears throat> the first thing I want to talk about is is the three baptisms. Okay, the first baptism is a baptism into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, you can turn there or you can look these up later. But you, need, you do need to look them up later so that you'll know it for yourself. This would be a great thing to study over the next week. But in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Everybody say, by one spirit. By one spirit. Into one body. Into one body. Okay, here's the thing. When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes you. He baptizes you into Jesus. You guys following this? And you're born again. You come in covenant with God. You become a part of the body of Christ. Okay? But the Holy Spirit, he is the one who's doing the baptism. It's a supernatural thing. You're born again. That's the first baptism is salvation. You're baptized into Christ. 
The second baptism, which is very important, is baptism in water. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 10. And interesting, I read to you in Acts, all three of these baptisms were shown in Acts chapter 19, what I just read to you. But look at the power of water baptism. 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. But look at that. They were all baptized into Moses through the sea. So Moses was a picture and type of what we have today in Christ. And the Lord showed me this one time because I needed to know about the power of water baptism. Because people were asking me its significance. And the Lord showed me this. The same water that baptized the children of Israel was the same water that separated them. It closed behind them and separated them from Egypt. It separated them from their past. And it also destroyed their enemies that were pursuing them. I've heard some crazy stories and I've seen some things with with water baptism. But there's been people, I mean, seriously set free from something, delivered of demons. I've heard of several stories like that healed in water baptism because there's a power in water baptism that helps to separate you from your past and destroy the enemies that are pursuing you okay it's the second baptism now obviously we know that you don't have to be baptized in water to go to heaven but why would you want to live without it why would anybody want to live without all god has for you okay where a lot of people there's um some denominations is this okay i do this tonight just kind of go through this stuff is I want you to understand why we believe what we believe and show you it in the Bible, okay? But there's some people, different um, denominations that believe that you have to be water baptized to go to heaven. And I'm going to show you where they get that. They're wrong, but I'm going to show you where they get it. In Mark chapter 16, start with verse 15. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's where they get that. Whoever believes and is water baptized will be saved. But this goes back to what I talked about last week. And if you were here and you heard the sermon and I talked about sozo, then you're going to understand why they're wrong. This is the word sozo. And it goes along with what I'm trying to tell you. The power in water baptism is to begin a life of sozo where there's a being healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made well. You follow me? Because we enter into covenant with God. We're born again at salvation, what we call salvation. We're born again. We enter into covenant with God. But then we begin a life of sozo, of salvation. And this word here is those that that believe and are baptized will be sozoed. And that's why many people, once they get water baptized, Usually something happens in the water baptismal. They feel different. They feel something has happened. But also you can watch the struggles that many people have had up until water baptism. Once they get water baptized, it seems like those struggles either disappear or they become much less. And that's the importance of water baptism, okay? All right, the third baptism is the baptism into the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3.11. J- 
John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one will come after me who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so Jesus is the one who does the baptizing into the Holy Spirit. So here's how it begins. There's three baptisms. The baptism of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. You become born again. You're in covenant with God. If you die, if you're sincere, if you die, you go to heaven. That's it. Water baptism, you enter into sozo. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one who baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Because this is something different than salvation, but it's extremely powerful and important. So let me pose this question. This has been something I've thought about. If the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, if it says in that word there, sozo, by the way, salvation, if it is the power of God unto sozo, if the Apostle Paul said that the kingdom of God is not about talk but power, then is a powerless Christianity actually Christianity at all? Think about it. Or is it just a counterfeit? Because how can you have an encounter with God and there not be some kind of power that transforms your life? I heard the illustration a preacher say one time, you know, if you stand in front of a bus and get hit by a bus, people are going to know that you got hit by a bus. You're not going to have to convince people. I promise you I'll get hit by a bus. They're going to know. If you have a collision with God... People are going to know it. And if, you, and if they don't know it, then you probably didn't have a collision with God. Because how much more powerful is God than a bus? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. So let me walk you through this. I'm going to help you see this. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. You become a child of God. God's DNA is in you, okay? I believe that this happened to the disciples in John 20. If you can turn there, get, this is incredible. Because you think about it, Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to suffer and die. Peter kept arguing with him, which I'm going to get to that later. But Peter didn't want that to happen and didn't believe that it was going to happen. He believed that something else was going to transpire, which I will explain later. But Jesus died on the cross, raised from the dead, and now he is appearing to his disciples. <clears throat> Look in John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. But what exactly happened here because Jesus kept telling them to wait in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power? Acts 1-8, Luke 24-49, we'll get to that. So what happened here where Jesus appears to them? And how many knows if you saw somebody die and then they walk into your room, there's a reason why Jesus said, peace be unto you, okay? They were freaking out, okay? And so, all right, anyway, Jesus shows up and they're freaking out and he says, peace be unto you. And then he breathes on them, he blows on them receive the Holy Spirit. What happened here? I believe personally this was their born-again experience. Because up to this point, 
they, they believed in Jesus. Some of them's faith were really shaken there at the end. But he had died on the cross, and he had rose from the dead, and now they saw him, and obviously they believed. I mean, that's proof positive, okay? He was who he says he is. I mean, he's standing here, okay? He raised from the dead. I believe that once they put their faith in him, now they're on the other side of the cross. They're in a position to be born again. And I believe that Jesus, that Jesus breathed on them and that that was their born-again experience. And the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. Interesting, in Luke 24:45, there was a time, I believe this may be the same time, Jesus, it says that, in Luke 24, 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. This is just my opinion, but I believe that when they were born again and Jesus blew on them and they received the Holy Spirit to come live inside of them, they were the first fruits of all this, okay? When they were born again, I believe that this is when their minds were also open to the scriptures. This is just my opinion, because this was the same time frame right here. Before Jesus ascended, this was before he ascended. Before he ascended, he blew on them and said, receive the Spirit, and he opened their minds to the Scriptures. Okay? So they were baptized into Christ. But Jesus kept speaking to them about going and waiting in Jerusalem. For what? If he just blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, what are they waiting in Jerusalem for? Because how many knows there's a difference between being born again and being clothed with power? There is a difference. And Jesus told them, if you look down, Luke 24, 45, go down to 49. He said, but stay in the city, talking about Jerusalem, until you have been clothed or endued with power from on high. Jesus knew that the disciples had to have the power of God to do what they're called to do. When Jesus was water baptized, he didn't have to be, and he was not just setting an example. There was a lot to that whole thing. But anyway, when he was water baptized and he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came on him gently like a dove would rest on somebody. And he was clothed with power. Okay? When he went forth into the wilderness and faced the devil, he came out. The Bible says when he came out of the wilderness, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read it for yourself in Luke 4. He came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then whenever he stood up and he read from the scroll of Isaiah and he sat in the seat reserved for the Messiah, how many knows that shook up some people? Okay. Anyway, when he read from the scroll of Isaiah and said, This day, this is fulfilled in your hearing that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the captives. And when he, when he read that, and then he sat in the seat reserved for the Messiah, I imagine every eye just bugged out, okay? And the guy that was ahead of the synagogue was kind of like, okay, what's going on? But Jesus knew that he could not begin his ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the first thing that he ever said when he began his ministry after facing the devil was, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the first thing he said. That's the first sermon, if you will, that he preached. And Jesus knew that for the disciples to do anything of significance for God, 
that they were going to have to be clothed with power. So when he ascended, he didn't tell him, okay, get after it. He said, wait, don't get after it. Wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Then you can be my witnesses. Acts 1.8, go ahead and go there. Or in Acts 1.8, I'm going to come back to this later because of Peter. But start with verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. He spoke about it in John 14, 15, and 16. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the dates and times the Father has set in his own authority, but you. And this is the thing. They kept trying to figure out. How many know sometimes our minds do that? God's trying to speak to us something, and we're off, you know, in left field somewhere. And they're all kind of like, Lord, now are you going to set up your kingdom? And they're asking all these questions. He said, you're not getting it. Listen, let me repeat it again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the emphasis. This is what Jesus kept emphasizing to them before he ascended. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. <clears throat> How many knows? If we were talking to Jesus, he started floating up, we'd be staring too. Amen. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So let me give you some examples in Scripture about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is an important doctrine that you guys get. All right, go to Acts chapter 8. All right, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but Philip was an evangelist. I love this story. The church was persecuted. Everybody started fleeing, okay? Philip, if you start with verse 4, those that had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they paid close attention to what he said. Think about that. People will pay attention when God starts showing up. It's going to draw attention, good or bad. Amen. All right, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Many paralytics and cripples were healed so that there was great joy in the city. Now for some time, a man named Simon, who had practiced sorcery in the city, amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. How many knows when somebody's boasting, I'm someone great, there's something wrong, okay? Because we should be boasting that Jesus is somebody great, and we're just a vessel. So that should have been a red flag right there. But the people were following him and believed, because he, verse 11, because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed in Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, 
they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. All right. So these people were born again. They accepted Christ and they were water baptized. Even Simon, a witch, accepted Christ. Okay. And there was great signs and wonders. Demons were coming out of people, people being healed. Okay. Sounds like revival, don't it? So as these people were getting saved, let's read on. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon. Everybody say upon. That's the difference. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And I could keep reading on about Simon and all of that. But the early church, they understood that once somebody accepted the Lord, that's the first baptism, remember, and then they were water baptized like these people, the second baptism, the early church understood that they still needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Philip had done his job as an evangelist. He had preached the word, and the whole city was shaken. All these people got saved. It's wonderful. When Peter and John showed up, they said, okay, now we're going to seal the deal. They said, bring them up here, and they started laying hands on all of them, and they were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm just showing you this in Scripture, because there are some people that teach false doctrine that once you get accept Christ, that you're automatically baptized in the Holy Spirit. But from all these scriptures, and I'm going to keep going, you can see for yourself that that's wrong. Why is it that the devil attacks the baptism in the Holy Spirit and tongues so bad? Because it is such a threat to him. That's why. Because Acts 10.38, it says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And see, whenever we get anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and we go around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil as God's doing it through us, then we're like little Jesuses. And that's what the devil hates and doesn't want. But you going out in your own authority, just flapping your mouth, and you don't have any anointing. I read a book that said, um, are you anointed or annoying? Okay. But anyway, and so when somebody's just going in themselves, and they're just talking, what's the big deal? But when God shows up, and people start getting healed and set free and the power of God shows up, then it is a big deal. Lives start being transformed. But that's why Satan attacks this so viciously because he does not want people anointed with the Holy Spirit and power going around doing what Jesus did. Because Jesus, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You can't destroy the works of the devil in your flesh. You have to have the power of God in your life to do it okay examples in scripture and then back to acts 19 which we've already read whenever paul showed up what did he ask him now this question is going to make more sense to you when he saw some disciples he said did you receive the holy spirit when you believed why would he even ask that question because he already understood what i've been showing you this up to this point he understood that just because they accepted christ doesn't mean that they're necessarily baptized in the holy spirit and they said, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. We were just baptized into John's baptism. And then he shared about Jesus and they accepted Christ. 
Then he laid hands on them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Is this making more sense now? So you can see it throughout Scripture. So Galatians 3.13, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? Christ's DNA is in you. You'll never be the same if it's real. So when you accept Christ, you're, you're born again. You're transformed. But the clothing of power is an entirely different story. But how do you receive this clothing of power? Galatians 3.13 says that Christ became a curse for us on the tree because it's written, Cursed is him who is hung on a tree, in order that the blessings given to Abraham will come on us as Gentiles. So in other words, the awesome thing is everything that Israel had with God because of Christ, we're engrafted into that. Okay? And we receive the blessings given to Abraham. But then it says, and you receive the Spirit by faith. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to expose some wrong things as I go. But some people teach because Jesus said, tarry or wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. Well, how many knows Jesus had to ascend to heaven, do his business, then the Holy Spirit was sent? Okay, 50 days later. The Holy Spirit's already here, so there's none of this waiting business. They only waited until Jesus, until the Father sent the Spirit. Okay, that's what they were waiting for. And so some people teach that you have to wait and wait and wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they may never be because they're not living by faith. Everything that we get with Christ is through faith. You even have to be born again by faith. But the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So if you have enough faith to accept Jesus as your Savior, though you've never seen him, you have enough faith for anything else, healing or anything else that you need. Okay. You've got the faith. It's just a matter of starting to learn how to use the faith you have and let that faith grow in you. But you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. Now, over the years, for whatever reason, as I've ministered, God has, has done different things just like he has with many, many of you and many others where people have been healed and delivered and all that. But for some reason, it seems like the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been so easy. I don't know. I mean, I just when I share on it, pray with people, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The only thing that hinders them is themselves. Because I've had some people sit there with stage fright and be like, I don't know what to do. It's like, you don't do anything. You just receive it by faith. And they're, they're their own worst enemy. Okay? You know what I'm saying? But I remember one time there was this little girl, and I was praying with people. And um, during this particular revival, it went on for a few years, and a lot of Wonderful things was happening. And there was people, it was pretty regular. People would fall down or whatever and, and you know, speak in tongues or they'd cry or they'd laugh. Or, or demon, and, you know, actually some demons come out of people. I might tell you a demon story here in a minute because it's really fun. And um, there was people physically healed. And so the reputation of this thing spreading because people were getting healed. So, and, but people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I remember I came, I was praying with people and God was touching them. I get to this, this one young lady and she looked terrified. And I'm like, you know, sweetheart, don't be afraid of Jesus. I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of. And she said, well, she said, I grew up Baptist, and they told me all this was of the devil. Man, you know, they're going to answer for that one day. They're going to be judged. But anyway, and I said, well, I'll tell you what. Her name was Jamie. I said, I'll tell you what, Jamie. Why don't you just pray and say, Jesus, if this is you, I want it. And if it's the devil, I don't want it. And I didn't even do anything. I was just standing there by her, and I said, okay, go ahead and pray. 
And so she prays it, you know, and she's like, Jesus, if this is you, I want it. And she falls backward on her own, speaking in tongues. It was radical. And I was just standing there just kind of like, and I started laughing and walked off, started praying for other people. (laughs) So don't let false doctrine hold you back from the things of God. Read the Bible for yourself, okay? That's why I'm giving you all these scriptures. Read it for yourself. Know what the Bible says. Don't let somebody's spouting off what they think and all this stuff keep you from what God has for you. There's people that teach things like healing's been done away with, it's not for today, yada, yada. Where's that in the Bible? Okay? And, and I could go on and on. There's a lot of weird teaching out there. All right. So what happens once you receive the Holy Spirit by faith? And let me give you a faith story. So this girl comes up and wants prayer, a different person, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I pray with her and I say, now take it by faith. You got it. Okay? Take it by faith. But you do need to have a prayer language, which I'll get to here in a minute and explain. So just, you know, pray in tongues as you get it or whatever. And so I prayed with her, walked off, and uh, God touched her. But she told me that two weeks later, see, this is why taking it by faith is so important. She told me about two weeks later she was flying on a plane to go see her family. They lived in North Carolina, and she was here in Texas. And um, while she was on the plane, she had headphones on and was listening to some worship music. And she said just out of nowhere she started crying for no reason, and she felt the presence of God really strong, and she just started speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled her. So see, she received it by faith, but the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit came forth in her life. Isn't that awesome? How many stories have you heard where somebody got prayer for healing, and you didn't see an instant thing, but over the next couple of weeks, the healing manifested? So that's the thing about taking it by faith. And I don't like putting people on the spot. You know, I don't do that. I grew up around a lot of funny stuff. You know, Joey did too. You know what I'm talking about. You get somebody down the altar that's wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you got, seriously, one person on one side, let go, let go, shaking or whatever. And then you got somebody on the other side, hold on, hold on. And they're all confused. Do I let go or hold on? And then somebody's going, just speak out what you got. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And then they leave, and they don't got anything. <laughs> the, joys, the joys of some Pentecostal churches, you know. But if, if people would just get prayer and take it by faith, you know, they're going to receive. Amen. All right. So what happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Acts 10.38, I've already quoted. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Luke 24.49, you are clothed with power from on high. I believe also this is moving into the, the supernatural aspect of Christianity. And it really grieves me because so many people have not had any type of supernatural experience with God at all. And like I talked about last week, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I don't come with eloquent words, but demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith rests in God, not in man. It is so important that people have an encounter with God's power for themselves. And I'm going to repeat this because it's worth repeating, and you guys need to remember this. When people have grown up around the power of God, and they've experienced the power of God for themselves. They've seen people healed. They've seen people delivered. They've seen demons come out of people. They've seen the things that you guys have seen, healings, like, I mean, like right there in your face, miracles. And you've been around the power and you've experienced God's power. How can you ever doubt? But there's people that are growing up in America right now, and I shared this last week. I'm going to say it again. 
that they've grown up around a powerless Christianity. And they've just had their faith in what the preachers told them. That's it. And when they get into college and the professors, some of these antichrist professors, literally, that are trying to, to shake their faith and saying all this negative stuff about the Bible, negative stuff about Jesus never lived, and all this historical garbage. that It's like, sir, how do you know? Did you live back then? Hello? But they just want to put seeds of doubt in people. And whenever these people that have never had an encounter with God's power for themselves, their mind gets confused. Because they've had their faith in what their preacher told them, and now this guy's telling them something else, and it's confusing. But if they had something to fall back on, I remember the time when Grandma was healed. I was there. I saw it. I remember the time in church where I had an encounter with Jesus. I've had an encounter with Jesus. I'm, I really have. I'm sure you have too. And somebody say something to me. I remember I was, well, I guess I was arguing with this guy. I was trying to witness to him, but he was hard-headed. And he was saying, or anyway, he said, he was saying, well, all this stuff. And I said, you know, you can say whatever, but I've had an experience with Jesus. I've experienced him. I know he's real. So whatever you want to say, I don't care. Because he wants to argue with me about all this ridiculous stuff that he don't know either. You know? How many knows God wants us to be bold? Don't be cowardly when you witness to people. You remember how Paul was? Some of these people opposed him, and he said, you know what? He basically said, you know, if you guys don't consider yourself worthy of eternal life, then I'm going to go somewhere else. In other words, here's where he said, I'm going to put it in our modern language. If you want to go to hell, that's your prerogative. Now I'm going to go over here and preach to these people. Was Paul bold? All right. Don't be cowardly when you witness about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of him. Amen? All right. But whenever you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's a moving into the supernatural aspect of Christianity. There's obviously the speaking in tongues, the prayer language. But there's, there's a sensitivity that comes with the power of God, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a sensitivity to God's presence. And I've seen when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, they begin to know the Lord in a way that they've never known before. Does that make sense? And some of you actually have told me that, that you've come to church here and God's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you know what I'm talking about. But you begin to know the Lord in a way that you've never known him before because you're going deeper in God. But God wants us to have a supernatural relationship with him, and it's not just some dead religion that is just reading something out of a book. How many knows whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, the Bible becomes alive? It's not just some dead ritual. Church isn't a dead ritual. The only people that have a problem with this are the religious people. You know, every move of God, including the move of God Jesus walked in and the Apostle Paul, the only people that had a real significant problem with Jesus was the religious people. The sinners loved Jesus. Remember that? It was the religious Pharisees. And the same thing I'm telling you today. The only people that's going to have a problem with the power of God is the religious people. Those that grew up in a weird environment that taught them against the Holy Spirit. I would hate to die and stand before Jesus and have been a preacher that tried to turn people against the Holy Spirit and, and to resist the Holy Spirit, calling it a demon, okay, and, and, and putting fear in people 
to run away from the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. Can you imagine? It's not everybody that stands before Jesus is going to see a happy face on Jesus. Some people are going to see an angry countenance. But another thing is about the prayer language. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, let me move on. I need to go. Mark 16. Now, how many of you really want to see Book of Acts Christianity today? I do. You want to see a real risen Christ moving in power? Amen? Destroying the devil's works, advancing the kingdom of God? Yep, that's what I want. All right, Mark 16. Start with verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, sozoed. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those that believe. Who believe? Come on. Do you guys believe? Are you believers? People listening over the Internet, driving down down the road, do you believe? These signs will accompany those that believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. That's what we're supposed to be doing. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. It won't hurt them. They'll drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus spoke in this to them, he was taken up. And this happened. This supernatural protection happened. Remember, Paul was bit by that snake on the island of Malta and shook it off in the fire, and they all thought he's going to swell up and drop dead. And he didn't. And so they all thought first he was this evil man. See, a snake bit him, so he must be an evil man, a criminal, you know, a murderer perhaps. God's getting him. And then and then all of a sudden and then all of a sudden he didn't die. And so I'm like, wait, wait, maybe he's a god. You know. So that's what happened. And so they all started talking to him, and you know what? It opened a door for him to share Jesus. Amen. All right. But we can drive out demons, speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover, and there's supernatural protection in our lives. On and on the stories of people that have been protected by God, supernaturally protected by God. In an awesome way. But this, all who believe will speak in new tongues. So this is something that's for everybody. Okay, This is where people that don't have experience with God do not understand. Okay, This right here, is Jesus a liar or does he tell the truth? Okay, This is what Jesus said. All who believe will speak in new tongues. That's the words of Christ. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, which I'll talk about, he said that the gifts of the Spirit okay, are given to different people. But there's a difference between the gift of a message in tongues and your prayer language. It's not the same thing. And that's what people don't understand because they don't, they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and they haven't had any experience with God. And so when these scriptures that seem to conflict, they don't, they're not in conflict with one another. It's just that you have to understand the difference between your prayer language and then the gift of, I'll give you an example. Some of you guys have been around this your whole life or whatever. How many times have you heard somebody give a message in tongues and then an interpretation? I mean, hundreds of times I have. That's great. But not everybody has that gift. Okay? But everybody can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have a prayer language. You seeing the difference? And you guys know what I'm talking about. All right. show you something real cool and we'll move on in the tabernacle all this was revealed because when you look at the tabernacle moses the outer court was the size of a football field and that was where 
they sacrificed the animal and had the water, the labor, the, where they'd wash their hands. And so what you saw in the tabernacle was you saw the cross, the sacrifice of Christ, and then water baptism. And that's where most of Christianity, at least in America, I'm not saying it's all over, but that's where most Christianity stays is in the outer court. And all they've ever experienced is a born-again experience and a water baptism. But in the outer court, everything is lit up by the sunlight, natural sunlight. So you only see things by the natural. You guys follow this because this is a pattern, okay, of what we have today in Christ. The outer court also represents the flesh. And so people that are in the outer court have really never learned how to get past their flesh and into the spirit. There's a difference. Remember John in Revelation said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then Jesus gave him the book of Revelation. So there's a difference between being in the flesh and in the spirit. But people that are outer court Christians is what I call them. They've only experienced salvation and water baptism. Everything they see is just by the natural. And they haven't learned how to get past their own flesh and into the spirit. Now, once you get past the outer court, there was a tent and it was called the tabernacle, okay? And it had the holy place and the holy of holies. But it was this tent. You could only go into the tent part if you had the blue tunic, which was the priest. They would wear that. The Levites just had white, a layer of white. They had the turban and the robe, and it was all white. And that represented a salvation experience. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. It's like the, the robe of righteousness, okay? That's what they had. But to get inside the tent part where you could have an encounter with God, you had to have that blue ephod, that, that uh, tunic, that blue tunic. And what it represents on the bottom of the tunic, it had, and you guys have seen this if you you know study this at all, it had a bells and pomegranates, bells and pomegranates all the way around, which the bells represent the gifts of the Spirit. The pomegranate represents the fruit of the Spirit. But the blue in the Bible always speaks to coming down from heaven. So once the white, once you're made righteous in Christ, the blue, the garment is a clothing of power from on high. You follow me? Once the clothing of power from on high comes and the gifts and the fruit are manifest, as they walk, you can hear those bells chiming. It's kind of like I picture people walking and praying in the Spirit. But as they would walk and those bells were chiming, they could go into the holy place and they could burn incense before God and they could trim the lampstand and they could have an encounter with God's presence. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, had an encounter with an angel one day while he was burning incense. So this was a place where you moved from just the natural and the flesh until you got into the things of the spirit. And there was worship in there. They would burn the incense. It was worship. There was true worship in spirit. And the, t- and the, the whole area was lit up by the lampstand, which speaks of revelation from the Holy Spirit. See, once you get past seeing things in the natural and you start seeing things that God is showing you, everything takes on a different meaning. Because you could read something in the Bible over and over and over, and in your own human mind you can only go so far. But when the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, it's like life. And you can really understand it. And that's what happens in the holy place. You're moving past the the flesh and into the things of the spirit. 
And this is the supernatural aspect of Christianity. Why are tongue, when are tongues appropriate? 1 Corinthians 14. Is this helping you guys? All right. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I love what um, I heard one preacher say. There's a lot of sayings that are anti-Bible. Like, for example, I believe it when I see it. You'll never see it then. You know, because, I mean, you, you have in the Bible and the things of God, you gotta you got to believe first and then you'll see it. Okay. Well, there's this little cliche that goes around going, we'll seek the giver, not the gifts. Now, how many knows that sounds all good and pious and you sound all religious and I'm seeking the giver, not the gifts? You know, but it says right here, how spiritual can you be when you're in conflict with the Bible, okay? It says right here, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. (laughs) Anyway, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Instead, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for the strength and the encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like that every one of you speak in tongues, but I would rather that you prophesy. For prophecy is greater. I'm sorry. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you, and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? In the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as flute and harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. And doubtly, there are all sorts of languages in the world. Let me skip down. Uh, Go to verse 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and um, I will also pray in my mind. I will sing in the spirit, but I will also sing in my mind. For if you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone uh, find himself among those who do not understand? Say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you're saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but uh, the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. Brothers, stop thinking like children instead um, in regard to evil be as infants. So... Fourteen twenty-two. Tongues then, verse 22, are a sign for the, I'm sorry, tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Did you know that tongues, seriously, tongues is a sign to the unbeliever? A lot of people want to make church where, you know, they don't want the Holy Spirit to show up and do anything. They're afraid somebody will get offended. You know, the Bible says that tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. And I've never seen, like I said, I've never seen the lost really ticked off about things like that. It's usually the religious crowd. But I remember one time I was in a church service, and there was, it was a large church. 
and uh, somebody gave a message in tongues, and another person interpreted. Obviously, the interpretation was for a person. There was somebody that was up in the balcony that ran down and got saved right there. Isn't that something? Because the interpretation had something to do with that. It was about an altar call for somebody to get saved. I don't remember what was said now, but it was definitely a convicting thing. So when are tongues appropriate? Outside the four walls? Well, of course they are. First off, it's a sign for the unbeliever. But secondly, you know, you need to pray in the spirit a lot. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than you all. There's a difference between, I'm going to try to explain this best I can. There's a difference between praying in the spirit and also giving a message in tongues. I mean, we can sit here right now and turn on some worship and say, okay, let's all pray in the Spirit because, you know, I want the Holy Spirit to pray through us. And we'll be praying, you know, and all that. But if somebody's going to blurt out a really loud message in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation and nobody's going to know what's going on. You see the difference? People shy away from tongues for some reason. I guess it has to be the devil attacking them. But also, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. John four twenty one through 23. Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well and said that there will come a time when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So there's a worshiping in spirit, worshiping in tongues. And also Romans eight twenty six talks about that we don't know how to pray sometimes. And so the Holy Spirit will pray through you with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so there, there's a time, a lot of times, when you don't know what to pray. And I would say that people that are powerful prayer warriors, remember I said this, are people that pray in the Spirit a lot in their own personal prayer life because they understand their own humanity and that they don't know how to pray in every situation. And so they'll let the Holy Spirit pray through them. And the Holy Spirit is interceding the perfect will of God. So let me give you some quick things about the benefits of tongues, and then I'm going to come back and, and explain when it's, when it's appropriate, when it's not in church. Here's the benefits of speaking in tongues on a regular basis, okay? Number one, it edifies yourself. It strengthens you. Number two, you utter mysteries. Great revelation can come into your life. Many people have never had true revelation from God where God showed them something, and it was like, wow. You know, they've never had that. But as you pray in the Spirit, it says that you utter mysteries. The Holy Spirit prays through you also. Number three, the Holy Spirit will pray through you the perfect will of God. Ephesians, number four, Ephesians 6.18 says it's part of your armor. I mean, how awesome is that? He listed the helmet of salvation, all that, and then he said, and praying in the Spirit on all occasions. It sharpens your discernment. That's just something I put in there because it does. It makes you more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Then number five, it builds up your most holy faith, Jude 20. Also, the enemy cannot understand what you're praying if you're praying in a heavenly language. I realize you could be praying in an earthly dialect, which they probably would understand. But if you're praying, okay, in tongues of angels and you're praying a heavenly language, how in the world are demonic forces going to know what you're praying? And see, that's an awesome thing because the enemy tries to oppose people's prayers. And if they can't oppose your prayers, they don't know what you're praying, how much more effective can your prayer life be? Okay. Also, you will stay in the perfect will of God because the Holy Spirit prays that, the perfect will of God, he prays that over you. 
and also the people in your life that are praying for you in the Spirit. How many wants to stay in the perfect will of God? As you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will pray over you the perfect will of God and help you to stay in the perfect will of God throughout your life. Also, you will be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.16 talks about being strengthened in your inner man. And then also John 4.23, Jesus said it's true worship, that worship in spirit and truth. So when are tongues appropriate and inappropriate in a church service? Okay, if people are praying, they're praying. There's nothing wrong with praying. Praying in the spirit or English, whatever. If people are worshiping God, they're worshiping God. Okay? But the problem comes in when people start causing disorder. And I'll give you some stories to give you examples. This was not that long ago. Some people may know what I'm talking about. But. So I was at this church service, and the preacher was preaching. And he was, he was doing good. He was flowing. And there was somebody sitting off to the side that just, I mean, blared out this speaking in tongues. It wasn't a message in tongues. It was just, I guess God was touching them or they thought he was. And they started yelling out this tongues were loud. It was so loud that the preacher kind of jolted, you know, and it just totally disrupted the whole service. Now, how many knows that that is exactly what the Bible says not to do? That is extremely, it was a woman sent off to his side. That's extremely disrespectful to the Holy Spirit and to the preacher who's preaching. It's disrespectful to God, it's disrespectful to his house, and it's disrespectful to the preacher. And it's a hindrance, okay? And so that's what Paul was talking about when he said, if you're going to give a message in tongues, then you need to have an interpretation, okay? So it's not going to disrupt the service. Um, there was another time, this isn't necessarily tongues, but there was a woman that I was, I was preaching a message. And it was right after worship at this church I was on staff at, and I was about to... Um, get into the word and I had everybody open the Bible and we read a scripture this woman jumps up and she's like I have a, a prophetic word for the church just really loud out of nowhere and she has this little piece of paper and she's ready to go well first off I don't have a problem with the prophetic word but that was out of order I've never seen the woman she wasn't a part of our church and it was inappropriate at, at best and I told her I said listen you, you know you're going to bring that to me after church we'll read it together and if it's God, you know, you can share it with the church. And I said a little prayer and moved on, and she sat down. She never came to me after church. I wish she would have because it may have been a true word of God. But she couldn't handle correction. You know, some people are too prideful to handle being corrected. So she got her little feelings hurt and left. Well, but the thing was, that's inappropriate. It's disrespectful. You see what I'm saying? And there was another story where um, there was a man that came into a church, and he had never been there. And the pastor was about to close everything down, and he had everybody stand. And this guy jumps up and starts speaking in tongues real loud. And everybody's thinking, you know, well, he's about to give a message in tongues, interpretation. So everybody's kind of bowing their head. And the preacher said, nope, let's go. And he said a prayer just over the guy, just totally ignoring the guy. And he said, y'all dismissed, whatever, and stepped out from the platform. And some people came up after church and said, so... You know, why did you just dismiss? Why didn't you, you know, what was the deal? And the pastor said, that wasn't of God. He said, it wasn't a message in tongues. It was just a guy just babbling off, you know. And so he, he had the discernment to know and just had everybody dismiss. These are times when speaking in tongues is inappropriate. It doesn't edify the body. 
if somebody's going to blare out a, a message in tongues, you know, in church there needs to be an interpretation. And secondly, if it's God, it's not going to disrupt the service. It will be in the flow of the service. You see what I'm saying? So people that are praying, there's times that a church service where we may be worshiping God, and some people are worshiping in the spirit or they're worshiping in English, that doesn't matter. They're worshiping God. And there, there may be a time where we move into intercession and people start praying and they're interceding and they're praying in the spirit. Or somebody that's praying out for everybody else is praying in English but praying in the spirit because, I'm going to tell you what I've learned is whenever you're praying, many times when I'm praying in the spirit, God will actually show me what to pray. And it's like an interpretation. Is I'll be praying and I don't know what to pray and I'll be praying in the spirit and then it, it comes to me what to pray. And it's like interpreting that. Okay? So if you're praying and you're worshiping, that's appropriate time. But if it disrupts the service, that's when it's inappropriate. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to say. The Bible, especially the New Testament, is not written to put people in bondage. Y'all follow me? It's not written to put fear in people and put people in legalism. It's written to help, you know, uh, free people up from religion. But many people read the Bible and it's this extreme legalism. Line upon line, it's extreme legalistic. And it actually, it's rooted in fear and pride and it puts people into bondage. But the Lord didn't write the New Testament to put people into bondage. And it gets so stupid that things, people get into this ridiculous stuff I've heard. Like, for example, I remember one time, Somebody was, uh, I was making a point because they were saying, well, is that in the scriptures? And I said, well, you know, we go out and hand out these gospel pamphlets that have the gospel in them. I said, that's not in the Bible. So are we, are we unscriptural? I'm just asking. And I said, you know, when we sit in church, you know, I know most people are used to pews or whatever. We're not sitting in pews. I mean, are we off? You see how it gets all this legalism and it gets people into bondage and it gets goofy? But the Bible's written to free people up. All right, need to move on. You're either going to be a part, whenever you pray, you're either going to be a part of the accuser of the brethren or you're going to be an intercessor. One of the two. Everybody sees the problems in churches and in the body of Christ, and you see the problems in your brother and sister in the Lord. But here's the two things. Revelations 12.10 says that the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan, will be cast down. People that operate in a divisive, everybody say divisive, fault-finding, criticizing, tearing others down, and want to see the destruction and downfall of others, that is being a part of the accuser of the brethren. That's aligning yourself with the accuser. And even when you go before God and you're praying, you need to be careful how you pray. You don't want to be the devil's prayer partner. Some people are the devil's prayer partner. They're always accusing people to God. Well, he did this. She did this. Accuse, accuse. That's, that's the devil. Amen? How many have read the Bible? The book of Job. What did Job... What did Satan do about Job? He accused him. And some people are always accusing. But if you have the heart of God, you'll be an intercessor. 
And an intercessor is somebody that sees the problems, but they have Christ's heart to sincerely pray for them, the perfect will of God. And you've got to know your identity in Christ. Remember when Jesus was water baptized? What did the Father say? He said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The very first thing out of the devil's mouth when Jesus was in the wilderness right after that experience, the first thing out of the devil's mouth was, if you're the Son of God. And he tried to challenge his identity. And the whole thing is, you've got to find a place in Christ where you understand who you are and what you have in Christ. And when the devil tries to challenge your identity, it doesn't affect you. And Jesus didn't get on this tangent of feeling like he's got to prove something to the devil. Because the devil said, if you're the Son of God, make the stones bread. And Jesus didn't feel like he had anything to prove to the devil. But as you're secure in your identity, and as you're an intercessor, it has the heart of God. You've got to understand realms of authority. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you. How many pastors have abdicated their authority within the local church? And they're controlled by certain people that either have money or they have influence. And they live in fear and they're just puppets. Now I'm warning you, because this is rampant, and it's rampant in this region, that you better let God do whatever he needs to do in you now before one day if you're going to pastor a church that you come under that. Because many pastors live a life that they're not very happy or satisfied and they know that they're just under the control of somebody else in the church, telling them what they can preach, what they can do. And that's demonic. Okay. Also, how many husbands have abdicated their authority within the family structure and are not really rising up and leading the family the way they should in the things of God? I know this church is awesome, the husband's here. But how many husbands out there that you know of are not? Wives are not being submitted, but husbands are not leading. They're not taking the charge. Understanding realms of authority. And I'm going to close with Peter's, Peter's story. So how many of you guys feel like, if I was to ask you this, you feel like there's something in your life, well, I mean, this is obviously a rhetorical question, but you feel like there's something in your life that's an imperfection, and there's been a time in your life when you said to yourself, could God really use me? How many have ever felt that way? Let me tell you about Peter. Peter ended up being one of the greatest, you know, champions of the early church. He was a pastor in Jerusalem, pastored the main church there, and uh, he was used very powerfully. But Peter believed, and these are the scriptures, you can look them up later. I'm just going to tell the story. Peter believed with all his heart what was commonly taught about the Messiah, that when the Messiah came, that he would, he would literally throw off the Roman rule and lead a rebellion against Rome and do kind of what King David basically did. Somebody like that in the Old Testament where he would come in and wipe out the enemy, draw a sword, and drive out the enemy, okay? And that's what he believed because Jesus was the son of David. And so he had this, this lie that he had believed in his mind, a false doctrine. And Jesus had come to him, and he was telling the disciples one night, I'm going to go suffer and die in Jerusalem. And Peter was like, no, you're not. And Jesus, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter in front of everybody else. And then Peter says, and he meant it with everything in him. Okay, 
he meant it with all of his heart. Peter said, even though they kill me, I won't betray you. I will follow you to the death. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times tonight. This is the story of Peter. I'm trying to show you something. Peter had believed something that wasn't true. And he was even to the point of challenging Jesus. Now, how many knows you're challenging Jesus? You really, you really believe in this thing, okay? He had the nerve. Jesus like, I'm going to go suffer and die in Jerusalem. Peter's like, no, you're not. It's like, yeah, he is. He said so. Yeah. And, uh, but Peter believed this so, so seriously believed this lie. And he was always expecting that out of Jesus, you know. He was always expecting like a physical battle. And Jesus was fighting the spiritual battle. He was destroying the devil's kingdom. But Peter was always waiting for him to draw a sword and say, okay, let's go do it now and just wipe out Rome. And, you know, well, as time went on and Jesus, they came to arrest him. Peter was not afraid at all. Okay. The other disciples, some of them ran away in fear. But what did Peter do? He drew his sword. Now, I'm showing you something about his whole mentality. His whole mentality was, now Jesus is about to draw a sword and we're going to take care of business. That's what he was thinking. And he may have even thought to himself, if I draw my sword, it will force the Lord's hand. But he wasn't afraid. As a matter of fact, if you think about armed soldiers coming, which would be the equivalent today in today's society of them coming with guns, and there were several of them, okay? They were there with their swords and they were, they were trained warriors. And Peter was not a bit afraid. He drew his sword, struck off some guy's ear, and was ready to go. And Jesus had to yell at him and say, put it up and go heal the guy's ear. And when Peter saw Jesus, his hands bound, and him with his head down, walking like this, following the Roman soldiers, listen to me. What did Jesus say before to Peter? He says, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith not fail. Whenever he saw Jesus, who he thought was the Messiah, when he saw him walk off like that, you know that his faith was shaken. Because Jesus was supposed to have defeated all these people with a sword, and now he's just their captive. And he thought to himself, maybe he's not the Messiah, and maybe he was just a prophet. Peter's faith was really shaken. Bad. John was the only one that was faithful the whole way. John followed Jesus into the trial and was at the foot of the cross. The rest of them fled in fear. But Peter was angry and he was hurt and his faith had failed. And he went and he followed up to the outer gate of where the trial was and he was standing out there and his faith had failed him. And he was questioning Jesus, was he really even who he thought he was? And somebody asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? And he wasn't afraid. If he just cut off the ear of a soldier, he wasn't afraid of this girl. You hear what I'm saying? It wasn't any fear. She said, weren't you one of his disciples? He said, no. He was denying Christ. And she asked him three times, and he said all three times no, and he even cussed to prove it because he knew that, you know, they would believe him if he didn't. And so they believed him, and, and that was the end of it. But as... This is an interesting part of the story. When the rooster crowed, Peter remembered the prophecy. And then he started realizing, what have I done? 
I denied him. I denied him publicly. And he ran out and he wept bitterly, okay? Y'all follow me. Look this way. And so as Peter began to weep bitterly and realize his failure that he had denied the Lord, in the book of Mark you can read this. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, remember the story? The stone was rolled away and and, and Martha and Mary were down there and um, the angels or whatever. But Jesus was there and they thought, the woman thought that he was just a gardener. And she was frustrated because the Lord's body wasn't in there. And she said, sir, where did they take the Lord's body? If you know, please tell me. And Jesus, of course, spoke to her and she realized that it was him. But the angel told her, listen, this is so important. The angel said, go back and tell the disciples and Peter that what you've seen here. So Peter was no longer considered a disciple at that moment. He had denied the faith. Then, whenever Jesus had shown up, what did Jesus do? Remember, he showed up at the ocean area on the beach, and he was there. I'm sorry, on the Sea of Galilee, and he was standing there. And they came in, and he sat down with them, and he was eating. And he said to Peter, do you love me? Now, why did he say it three times? Because he was reinstating Peter, who denied him three times. But he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him that three times. And he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And he recommissioned Peter. And Peter had blown it. It's one thing to run away in fear, but it's another thing when you deliberately deny the Lord and deny the faith. And you know that that had to bother him even beyond the conversation with Jesus to some extent. And I imagine that kept him humble the rest of his life. But you know what? Jesus still reinstated Peter and used him to do great things. The Apostle Paul, all the way until his death, he always said, even I was shown mercy, even though I killed people who were servants of Jesus during the early church time. Remember, Paul had people executed, and that bothered him and followed him the rest of his life, that even in in Timothy and 2 Timothy, he talked about that. But even Paul, who murdered God's children, ended up going and doing great things for God one day. See, God knows people's heart. Now, I felt to share that for some reason. But some of you have had things in your life that you have felt like, can God ever use me? Some of the greatest men of God that have ever lived have been people that had some great failures in their life. And God doesn't judge you by that. He doesn't look at your past. In fact, People's identity sometimes is wrapped up in their past. And that's all that they can see of themselves is the way that they were. And God wants you to get past that. What if Peter had lived his whole life with his head down, feeling like a failure, that he had denied the Lord, and that's all that he ever saw of himself? He would have never been able to rise up and do great things for God. He had to get past that. Paul had to get past the fact that he was a murderer. And get forgiven and then go on and do what God called him to do. But I wanted to lay down about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to help you see God's heart. 
You can't be a part of the accuser. You've got to be a part of the intercessor. Please remember that. You've got to understand realms of authority and stay submitted to authority. But in that, okay, you need to know your identity of who you are and what you have in Christ. What are you called to do for God? You need to understand that you're a son or a daughter of God and really have that reality sink into you, the authority that you have available to you. And what God has called you to do, you need to have faith about that and not allow your past failures to dictate what God's going to use you to do in the future. How many people throughout history have been used to do phenomenal things that had great failures? I remember not saying anything about Catherine Coleman because I have so much respect for her ministry. But there was a time when she was away from God not doing good. And she made some mistakes. Okay, but she had to come to a place where she had asked forgiveness and died to that. And then went forward and do what she was called to do. And somebody had brought it up to her later on and she said, that never happened because it's under the blood of Jesus. It's gone. It's dead. And she wouldn't even discuss it. She said, never happened in my book, never happened in God's book. That was her attitude about it. She could have never really done what God called her to do if she lived in guilt about that the rest of her life. But what I want to do is pray with people. Does this help you guys tonight? Because God doesn't want us to be an accuser. When we see somebody like Peter that's blown it, we should be praying for them, not accusing them. What would have happened if people were around Peter just throwing hurling accusations at him. You deny the faith, you're nothing, you'll never amount to anything. And and just accusing, accusing. You know, Jesus didn't do that to Peter when he saw him. Jesus reinstated him. And Jesus sees people's hearts. Okay. If you'll stay under authority and have the heart of God, I believe God can use you to do great things. If he can use Peter and Paul, he can use us. I think many of us look to them and think, oh, they were so great. But you know, they were, they were used mightily, but they were people just like us. They had imperfections just like we do. But I felt two things. Number one, if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to pray with you that God baptized you into the Holy Spirit. But number two, there, do you remember in the story when um, Philip went to Samaria and the people were healed and delivered and they were saved? But he had to get Peter and John to come, and they laid hands on to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why didn't Philip do that? There was something in Peter and John's life that they had that gift of laying hands on somebody and then being baptized in the Holy Spirit that maybe Philip just didn't have. I don't know. Okay, But I do know that there's a, what I want to do is pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit that need it. But I feel also that if you want to be used of God to see others baptized in the Holy Spirit through you, that I want to lay hands on you and pray for that, that God will give you that. Because I, I have, if there's anything that I've seen, people talk about the deliverances and the healings and stuff, but I think I've seen more baptism in the Holy Spirit than anything. You know, And I find that a lot of people are hungry and want to have that. They want to have an encounter with God. But anyway, I'm going to put on some worship. If y'all want prayer about that, we'll pray, okay?